I have a very dramatic announcement. So anyone with a weak heart should leave now. Unreal. Revolution. Uncensored. Revolution. Unfiltered. Revolution. Unchanged. Unadulterated. Unbelievable. CliffCentral.com. A very hearty welcome to every faithful listener and also new listeners as well. You are joining Professor David Block and every week I have the privilege together with Duncan who operates the sound to bring you one or other topic that we trust is of tremendous interest and perhaps something which you haven't carefully thought through. Today I'm going to be uh, introducing a very interesting question and I'd love to know if any, any listener has got the answer to this question. And the question is simply this. Why is the sky dark at night? Might seem a very trivial question, but it's a very, very profound question is, why is the sky dark at night? You're listening to Professor David Block. You can reach me in studio on 0861-555-189. That's 0861-555-189. The Twitter handle is at cliffcentral.com, Facebook Cliff Central, WeChat ID, which is the most popular one, is Cliff Central. My personal webpage is www.davidblock.co.za www.davidblock.co.za And my Twitter handle is at Starry Galaxy Man At Starry Galaxy Man Now, if you're following the tweets as they're coming out and coming through, you'll see that I'm holding a book, and I want to introduce this whole story of why is the sky dark at night by means of this book, which you'll see Dory has just posted it on the Twitter feed, uh, which is Cliff Central, uh, cliffcentral.com is uh, you'll see the, a very, very interesting photograph, which I just happened to stumble across today. Now, if you look at that tweet, you'll see somebody standing in an actual observatory. Uh, Duncan, what strikes you when you look at this? I mean, can you see there's, there's an actual telescope and there's a clock and there's a dome and, I mean... Uh, is this the sort of thing you think that you'd find in one's back garden? Not at all. But what strikes me about the picture is the, the handsome <laughs> young man in it. Well, Duncan, you know, I hardly recognize myself. Uh, this was the Beatle era, I guess. <laughs> and it was in vogue with those long, thin pants, uh, bell bottoms, they used to call them. And also in vogue was a very long hair, the sort of almost the hippie-like era. But the interesting thing here, Duncan, is look at that word, Krugersdorp. Krugersdorp, Professor. And that's, of course, where you and I grew up. And what's very interesting here is that uh, I was a young teenager about, uh, I guess I was about 17 years old, 17, 18 years old. And uh, my father had decided to build an actual observatory 
in our garden in Krugerstorp. Now, of course, if you look at the tweet, you'll see what I'm talking about. But for those who are not on Twitter right now, let me just describe it to you. This is a fully functional mobile observatory. That means that there's a dome here at the top. And this dome actually rotates. Why does the dome have to rotate? Well, because we have to follow the stars as they move across the sky from the east to the west. But then you'll notice some amazingly interesting equipment in this uh, little tweet that Dory has posted, and that is that you've got two telescopes. Can you see that here, Duncan? You've got the one big tube and another one over there. Now, with this... I actually could look at uh, very, very deep sky objects. I could actually, apparently, apparently, I'd, I believe this is true, but it was the only one of its kind. Uh, you know, the only private observatory of this nature, of its kind, in those days, in um in uh, 1969, 1970, it's certainly one of the... Uh, the only... It was the only one of its kind. In fact, so much so that Patrick Moore, the late Sir Patrick Moore, decided to feature it in this book that I'm holding here called The Astronomy of uh, Southern Africa. But what's very interesting is, is why was this observatory built? Well, that goes back to really the incredible encouragement from my late father and uh, my late mother. Uh, somehow, they just knew. I mean, they could never have dreamt that I'd be sitting here today, uh, here on cliffcentral.com. But um, in the early formative years of my career, uh, they wanted to bless me with a unique gift. Now, this was not a gift uh, that was, you know, in the range of costing of one of the computer games. This was uh, this was a huge amount of money, and uh, it was a professional observatory. Um, if you look at the right of the photograph uh, that Dory's posted and that Duncan's posting, you'll see that uh, there, there's a stand with equipment on it, and this equipment was actually flown out from California. So... It was a fully functional observatory, just like we get in professional um, observatories. It had its own motors. That's incredible. Uh, in other words, when I, for example, let's just take an easy example of, say, um, gazing at a star, uh, the telescope would track the star. By that we mean the telescope would move from the east to the west, and also the dome would rotate as that was happening. So as the as the sky was moving above my head, so the uh, stars uh, were moving, the dome was moving, uh, and I could actually take photographs. In fact, if you look very carefully, I'm showing Duncan over here, but you can also see it in the tweet, there's a camera there. It's incredible. I mean, this is really, this was big bucks. I mean, this is really seriously uh, an observatory which is seriously well equipped. But I suppose that what struck one, might not have struck you, but what certainly struck me is this very key question, why is the sky dark at night? I mean, it's obvious that uh, if I'm standing in my observatory, 
uh, and the sun's going down, uh, why, you know, the sky gets dark. But, uh, Duncan, have you ever thought of that question? I mean, it just seems so trivial. I know uh, all my students at VIST, 300 of them, never ever thought of why is the sky dark and why am I sort of teasing this out? Well, let me just give you an example and then uh, I think you'll start sensing where I'm coming from. So, let's imagine a whole lot of BMWs, say, with their lights on, or a whole lot of cars with their lights on, for example, say, on the highway. Uh, and if you were to look at these cars, let's suppose you would put all these cars on a soccer field, and you had, you know, thousands of them on this imaginary soccer field, then uh, if you looked at them, Duncan, so you've got all these cars all lined up on the soccer field, yes? And they've all got their lights on and all their lights are shining on you. Just imagine so. Then if I look, let's imagine each little lamp, each little um, headlight is a star. If you then look at all these headlights, how bright should it be, Duncan? As bright as the many lights that you have. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's extraordinary. So in other words, what Duncan's saying, and that's right, is that the sky should be blazingly bright. And that's true. The sky, the night sky should be blazingly bright. If there are indeed infinitely many, uh, headlights shining, uh, into one's eyes, then, uh, wherever you look, cross that soccer field, wherever you look, your eyes will intersect some headlights, and the sky to you should be infinitely bright at night. So that's really interesting, is that there I'm standing at my observatory in Krugersdorp, and the sky at night is dark. Now, you know, this has got nothing trivial to do with the sun setting. Uh, the question is a very, very profound one. Why is the sky dark at night? So I'd love some responses on the WeChat uh, or on perhaps direct call, 0861 um, at cliffcentral.com on Twitter or the WeChat Cliff Central. But there I was in my little observatory in Krugersdorp, and I'm just going to give you a few moments to think of a possible solution uh, while I just uh, elaborate. And so I would observe stars in our Milky Way galaxy. So, on the one hand, that's fine, but on the other hand, it again raises this point that if every star is a pencil beam of light, and if you theoretically had infinitely many stars in the night sky, then just like uh, all these stars lined up on the rugby field, all these headlamps shining on the rugby field, you should expect the sky to be well, as Duncan says, as bright as there are cars, and so if there are infinitely many of them, there should be infinite, it should be infinitely bright at night. And so something's clearly wrong in our argument. I mean, we know that the sky is dark at night. However, when we look up at the night sky, there are billions of stars. So what is actually, what is the flaw in this argument, where are we going wrong? Well, I just hope that at least one uh, cliffcentral.com uh, listener might be able to think of the answer. But while we're thinking of the answer, 
I want to tell you what it's like to actually observe with the sort of telescope that I had access to. Uh, I had access to what's called a photoelectric photometer. Now, I don't know what you hung out with, Duncan, at the age of 17 or 18, but uh, I used to hang out with these things, these photoelectric photometers. But what does it tell you about my father, Duncan, having, you know, built an observatory of this magnitude? What does it sort of, what statement would it make if your daddy did this for you? Well, it's important. It shows that your, your daddy really did believe in you, Professor. Yes. But what I want to personally know from you yes. is that, uh, what did he see in you? And, uh, just mm-hmm. so that he could make such a, a great investment mm-hmm. in his son. Mm-hmm. What was it that you said to him or mm-hmm. what was it that you did in your years mm-hmm. that showed him that, you know what? This is my son's life, and I want to dedicate everything I do to him. Yes, you know, that's such a profound question. I don't think I've been asked it that way before. And um, I really, really don't know what I said to him, except that he saw that when I spoke about things astronomical, uh <laughs> I was filled with such a sense of passion and such a sense of enthusiasm. And I think, Duncan, that, you know, if we look back on my career, whenever I speak about, you know, people often comment about one's enthusiasm. And maybe it was the, that element of enthusiasm that struck my dad that, you know, David's really onto something here. But it still doesn't answer your question in the slightest. As to what my beloved, uh, you know, late dad, Leon, actually saw in his son to invest this sort of time and this sort of money, it's very rare. You know, I mean, today, if a child shows an interest, for example, in photography, well, you just go online, you order your camera on Amazon.com or wherever you want to order it from, Nikon or Canon and so on. And it's not, you know, it might be slightly costly, but nothing to write home about um this observatory as i've stressed already was a huge investment uh, you know the the only one in krugersdorp and certainly at the time probably one of the most sophisticated private observatories in the country and so you know the question really does um beg itself duncan as to what did my dad see in me you know i really wish i could answer that question but uh, clearly he saw, you know, how much I loved the night sky, but it still doesn't answer the question why he would go to, you know, such lengths, such levels. I mean, you must understand this, that uh, to have an observatory built, you actually need architects. You actually need architects, and these architects have to design the uh, domes. They have to design the lower building. You need motors to move the dome, to rotate the dome. Uh, we've got some uh, examples of other telescopes in this book I'm holding. But, I mean, you actually need, you know, th- this sort of thing over there is what it looked like from the outside. So you've got the base, you've got the rotating dome, you've got slits which open so that you can see these night sky. These slits have to open and then, of course, close uh, during the rain or so on. Closed during the day. So, I mean, these are, it's highly sophisticated. Uh, I wish I knew what daddy saw in me 
to invest in one of these things. I've got a theory, Professor. All right, let's hear Duncan's theory, because uh, Duncan's getting to know the prof well. He works with the prof every week. And so maybe you can enlighten me as to what did dear daddy see? So I'm thinking maybe during the course of your years growing up as his one boy, mm-hmm. uh, he, he saw that, uh, he noticed that you weren't maybe a physical, you weren't the rugby playing That's son. True. That's uh, absolutely the, the true. cricket player, the absolutely sporty kind right. of guy. Yes. So as soon as uh, you found something that lit a fire within you, Professor, yes. and when you spoke to him about it, he actually saw your eyes glow. <laughs> and because he was your dad and you yes. were his son, yes. he saw that, you know what, this is my son's dream. Wow. That's my wow. theory. Wow, wow. I'm going to listen to this podcast myself tonight uh, <laughs> uh, because it just brings such tears to my eyes. But uh, I guess that's true. I mean, I guess that is true. It's absolutely right, is that I was never um, – I never showed any interest whatsoever in uh, rugby or in any sports. Uh, my my rugby field was in my head. I mean, <laughs> I used to love tossing ideas around in my head. And, uh, you know, people sometimes ask me, uh, Duncan, when did you, when were you appointed on the staff at Wits? And the truth is, I was just reminded of this the other day. I was appointed on the staff, um, when I was in my first year. That was fun because I was actually in first year and I was actually allowed to teach and help students. So that was real fun. But I don't know what daddy saw. Maybe daddy did see what Duncan has just described is a passion, a love. Um, and he realized that this was not transitory, but this was a love, a passion, which has endured till this very day, a passion enfolding in love with the night sky. So there is inappropriate and uh hearty welcome to Inappropriate. We just love your participation always on this program. And um Inappropriate says the stars are not bright enough, Prof. I think brilliant convo as always. All right. So let's just uh tug on to that inappropriate. You're starting to scratch in the right direction. But let me just again take you to this analogy of having a whole lot. Let's assume we have 10,000. Let's imagine that we've got this imaginary large soccer field, say somewhere in Dubai, okay? And we've got, say, 10,000 cars, and they all switch on their lights. Then, as Duncan has said, the, the sky should be as bright as all the lights, the integral, the sum, the Romanian integral of all those lights added up together. So then the sky should not be dark at all, but it should be exceedingly bright. And if you've got infinitely many cars, like a million and then a hundred million and then a thousand million and so on, the sky should be very, very bright at night. And this question, which I'm addressing to you today, why is the sky dark at night, is actually given a very famous name in astronomy, very famous, because it's one of the most profound questions you can ask. You might think it's one of the most trivial questions you can ask, but it's actually one of the most profound questions you can ask is, why is the sky dark at night? And it's a paradox, meaning you've got to think about really hard, because it's not as easy or as obvious as you might think. And so Duncan's going to type in, as you will too, go to Google if you're at your computer and type in Alba's Paradox. So I'm going to spell it for you just so that each one can get this. And it's O for orange, L, B for Billy, 
E-R-S for sugar, Albers Paradox. And it's one of the most famous paradoxes in the night sky. And I see that Duncan Sydney uh, on the ball and in action. And uh, you can see that this paradox is exactly there, uh, in action. It's right before our eyes. The uh, German astronomer, Wilhelm Albers, 1758 to 1840, it's also called, as you can see, the dark night sky paradox. And uh, the argument, the question really is, is it's a riddle, it's a paradox, is why indeed is the star, the sky dark at night. So on the web pages, you'll often get analogies of, for example, forests of trees, imagining each star to be a little tree in a forest. But let's just pick up that analogy. Let's suppose that every tree represents a star. And suppose you're in this forest with infinitely many stars, infinitely many trees. Then wherever you look, you'll see trees. And so the sky should be blazingly bright at night. And of course, in my observatory in Krugersdorp, I, of course, obviously so, noted that the sky was dark at night. But it's got nothing to do with the sun setting. Uh, once the sun is set, the sky should be essentially infinitely bright. And... Uh, I wonder, inappropriate, whether you've ever wondered whether this is an appropriate question to ask or an inappropriate question to ask. But certainly the question really is, is that uh, something is a flaw here because, <laughs> I mean, you know, I just want one person to come on a tweet or anything and tell me, Prof, this is the reason why the sky is dark at night. I mean, it's, I trust it really, uh, wets those neurophysiological buds, but uh, certainly in my observatory in Krugersdorp, which is on the Twitter, uh, the little tweet, as you can see, uh, the sky, of course, does get dark at night. Professor. Yes, Duncan. Are you asking why is the sky black? Yes. Even when there's stars yes. in the sky. Yes. And exactly. why, why is it not That's black? What I'm asking. Why is it not black when the sun is shining? Could that? Um, a, a, a very, you've, you've, you've hit the nail really on the head there, is I'm asking, why is the, why is the sky black at night? Because the sky, if there are infinitely many galaxies and infinitely many stars, the sky shouldn't be black, like this wall is black. Wherever we look, there should be car lights or headlights. And so if you, if you add them all up, if there are infinitely many of them, it'll be bright, whether I'm looking at this section of the wall or the, in other words, my question is, why is the sky black at night? There aren't enough stars out there. <laughs> well, that's interesting. There aren't, aren't enough stars out there. That's, that's starting to home in on one of the answers. But interestingly enough, here it comes, and I guess uh, that you haven't thought of this before. If you seriously had thought of this question 200 years ago, if you had seriously thought of this question 500 years ago, seriously, you would have been able to make one of the greatest astronomical discoveries of all time. Now, one of the greatest astronomical discoveries of all time is that we live in an expanding universe, an expanding Big Bang universe. Mm. 
And uh, Duncan, you'll remember we've discussed this several times now, the light which is emitted just after the Big Bang and so forth. But we live in a universe which is expanding. What do I mean by expanding? I mean that all the galaxies are rushing away one from another. Now, what's happening is the following. As galaxies rush away, uh, the intensity of the light uh, is shifted to the red, and it really decreases to our eyes. In other words, it's called a redshift. So let me give you a nice little example, Duncan. Suppose you've got an, an ambulance, and the siren's going, and the ambulance is coming towards you. What do you hear, Duncan, in the ear? An increase in the pitch or a decrease? Uh, if it's coming towards you, you'll hear an increase in the pitch, of course, yes, because it's actually coming towards you. If an airplane's going away from you, then, of course, there's a decrease in the sound wave pitch because it's going away. It's called the Doppler effect. You can put it on uh, wiki if you want to, D, D for David, O-P-P-L-E-R, the Doppler effect. And um, in other words, what the Doppler effect essentially says is that there's a shift in wavelength uh, if you've got an object coming towards you or if you've got an object coming uh, going away from you. For example, if a train's coming towards you, there's an increase in the sound waves. The, Duncan's got it right on the screen, the Doppler effect in Wiki. Um, and that's exactly right. It's a change in frequency uh, or, or the pitch of a wave relative to its source. So there we start stumbling upon the answer to why is the sky black at night. It's extraordinary that one of the greatest discoveries of all time could have been made 500 years ago, long before the invention of the telescope, if we'd thought this through. Of course, at that time, it was really beyond imagination to imagine that the universe is expanding. But at the heart of the solution to why is the sky black at night is the fact that we live in an expanding universe. And don't you think that's amazing, Duncan, to think that, I think that it's so neat to my mind, that long before the invention of the telescope, one of the great discoveries could have been made by just thinking about it. And it really does, it really just excites me so. And that's why, I guess, my daddy built me the the telescope and the observatory in Krugersdorp because he sensed that his son perhaps was on a slightly different wavelength. We were just thinking about the deeper things of life, whereas my school-going friends were sort of more on the romantic side, Duncan. Mm. Their minds were thinking more along the lines of, who can I take to the matric dance? Whereas my my lines of thought were more, I suppose, along the lines of what's the UBV magnitude of the star <laughs> or that star. So, <laughs> I think that uh, that's perhaps very true. Maybe that's what dear daddy saw in David. But one of the key solutions to Alba's paradox, therefore, is that this, we live in an expanding universe. So what do we mean? We mean simply this. If you've got the stars in galaxies and the galaxies are rushing away from us, there'll be a shift towards the red region of the spectrum. There'll be a decrease in intensity as measured uh, by the observer. There's a redshift. There's a decrease in light. And all of this together adds up to the fact that uh, 
the sky will not be infinitely bright at night. However, if we lived in an infinitely old universe, which had infinitely many stars and was not expanding, the sky would be infinitely bright at night. And then, uh, if Duncan were to go out of an evening and look up, it would just be this blaze of floodlights. And it's not. So, in other words, why is the sky dark at night? I love this uh, in the introduction. If you think the answer to this question is obvious, think again. The best minds of physics. This is incredible what Duncan's brought up. Listen to this. If you think the answer to this question is obvious, think again. The best minds, says this webpage, of physics, the best minds of physics have studied this question for over 100 years and the current answer may surprise you. And, uh, it's a question that perhaps not many ever thought to ask. And, uh, again, in these pages to follow on this web, you'll see that the answers, uh, flow along the lines that I've given you. But I just think it's extraordinary that some of the greatest minds, the best minds in physics, have thought of this question, didn't come up with a solution. And uh, I wonder if it's ever bothered Rena, for example, Rena Brumberg is, why is the sky dark at night? I mean, really? Is it so fundamental? I just hope that the listeners are excited as I am. I mean, why is it dark at night? And now... When you look at the sky tonight, and I think it will be a beautiful evening, just gazing out the window here, uh, when you see that it is black tonight, your heart should skip a beat. Not because you're standing next to your beloved, but because it's proof that the universe is expanding. I think that is just so neat, that it's in motion, that it's expanding all the time. What does this tell you, Duncan, now that you know the answer and you'll look up? Uh, I'm thinking that uh, there must have been a time where or when, when you looked up, it was infinitely bright before all the expansion started oh, happening. That's beautiful. Well, that's very interesting indeed. Because in the beginning, just post Big Bang, long before galaxies formed, there was just light. There mm. was light only. And we call this, uh, there are many pictures of this on the web called the the microwave background radiation, the microwave background radiation. And yes, then the universe, if you looked up at the sky then, if you could, there'd be blazing light everywhere. So that's exactly the point we're making is that the universe is expanding and it's cooled down and so forth. And the sky is thus dark at night. But if you were to look at the universe, if you were to be a fictitious observer looking at the universe just minutes post Big Bang, oh, wow, you wouldn't need lights in the studio, Duncan. <laughs> I mean, you just have light flowing, flooding everywhere. Um, the discovery of the cosmic microwave background radiation, you can have a look on, read it later tonight on Wiki, um, is one of the most major developments in all of astronomy. And um, again, what is so amazing is that uh, a simple thought, why, oh why, is the sky dark at night? If 
astronomers had thought that through 300 or 400 years ago, they would have stumbled upon all of what I'm telling you. What have we discovered with our giant telescopes? That we live in an expanding universe, that the sky is not dark at night. But that's an extremely profound, not only philosophical question, but that's an extremely profound um, astronomical question So what we're going to do now Is just have a little music break I think I've tickled your neurophysiological processes For over 35 minutes uh, Non-stop Without um, stopping to talk for a second And so I think It's good for uh, you to just uh, Relax them neurons some And let's listen to some Good music Selected by Duncan By and by, all my dreams will soon disappear. I know not when. So we've been uh, delving deep into why, oh why, is the sky dark at night? And I think it's a very nice dinner topic. I think you should, you know. When you have people around for dinner, you say, all right, hundred, a hundred bucks on the table, everyone. <laughs> now, all your money is together in the pile. Now, why is the sky dark at night? And you have a one-up because you've been listening to the professor give you the answer. So you take the money. <laughs> but I think it's, I just love this topic and this question. But uh, inappropriate's back, and then I'm going to go to Tsepo. Tsepo's asking a lovely question, but um, uh, inappropriate says, So, is the light forever escaping our skies? In a sense, what's happening is that you've got the galaxies inappropriate just rushing away from us. And so, it's just like, I suppose this. If you've got an ambulance, and suppose it's got its siren on, and suppose it passes you. You know, as emergency vehicles were passing me just now, massive pileup on Ravonia Road. Then the sirens, you can hear them coming towards you. Now, as they move into the distance, they fade away. The sound fades away. It's not that they fade away. Hopefully not. They're fine. But the sound fades away. And it's like that in a sense, in a very... Uh, you know, weak sense, but in a sense, very a true sense of the word, uh, it fa- the galaxies start, the light starts fading away in that sense. And uh, that's why the sky is not infinitely bright at night. So it's to do with Alba's paradox and it's to do with the fact that we live in an expanding universe which has not got infinitely many stars and which is not infinitely old. Another lovely question from Tsepo Melo. And Tsepo, I'm just trying to see your picture there. I don't know what you're doing. I'm trying to see there. We're just trying to get it bigger. Ah, there we see. Oh, good. Professor, do you personally believe in the theory of the multiverse? Well, I would encourage you to... Just look at a few podcasts ago. Uh, we actually discussed uh, multiverses, uh, and I actually gave you my personal viewpoints then. But uh, 
Oh, wow, there's Tsepo. Now I see the picture. Tsepo, that looks very cool. I think those jeans are amazing. Uh, tonight, Tsepo, you better sit down and just ask everyone around your table. Put 100 bucks down, and why is the sky dark at night? Then you collect 2,000 rand, and you buy yourself another pair of jeans like the one you're wearing. Because don't they look awesome, um, Duncan? I mean, that really looks cool to me. Quality jeans. Ah, oh, you see, that's what it, with the word we need. Quality jeans. You can see how dreadful my jeans were in the picture, Duncan. Um, I mean, you won't believe it, but at the age of 17, 18, Duncan, we used to wear ties. Can you believe that in the day? Even on a Friday, you would wear a tie. <laughs> I would wear ties 24-7 if I could. That's how I grew up. I grew up wearing a tie. Um, it's almost true to say, I suppose, that I've never seen my father's naked feet. And uh, he grew up, I grew up in a home which is a very intellectual home, but very Victorian in the sense that my boys just hang out now. They all walk around in winter um, barefoot. Uh, what do you say in Afrikaans? Kaal foot of its... Kaal foot, manier. Kaal foot, yeah. And uh, so they just walk around like that. But the professor always wore a tie. I wasn't a professor then. I wasn't a doctor then. But the interesting thing was, Seppo, that uh, your genes certainly outshine mine by billions of times. If you look at the tweet, uh, these look dreadful to me. Um, but this was the Beatle era. I mean, this is the era of the, you know, the bell bottoms. Maybe we can all look on Wikipedia on bell bottoms. <laughs> I remember those genes very well, the uh, bell bottoms. But Seppo... Um, very seriously, so I am not attracted to the multiverse theory at all. I believe it's hocus pocus. I believe it's fiction. I believe there's no proofs. There's no scientific proof whatsoever for the multiverse. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly in vogue. It's something which is cool to study. But uh, from my point of view, wearing my hat as a professor of astronomy, uh, I would say that that belongs much more in the realm of science fiction. So that was a little paradox we've teased out in our minds is why, oh, why is the sky dark at night? And we've discovered the solution in terms of the fact that it's one of the greatest questions you could ever, ever, ever ask. But now I want to go to another, not a paradox, but this time a hoax which surfaces on the net every year, and it's going to surface this year again. It surfaced every year, I think since 2002. Is that right, Duncan, somewhere around there? Must have been. It appeared. Uh, let's see when the marks are. The Mars hoax surfaced in 2002. This. There we are. Now, this hoax appears on the Internet every year, and what it says, the emails say, is that if you go out and look at Mars tonight, Mars will be as big as the full moon, as big and as bright as the full moon. And every year we find thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, I don't know how many suckers we find. Because people stop me in the street. People stop me at the university and they say, Professor, we've just got this email. Tonight of all nights, Mars will be as bright as the full moon and as big as the full moon. And it's got such a central stage now that I see it's even on Wikipedia. Um, uh, you know, and it's a, it's an email. Each one of you will get, 
Most of you will get this email. It's a hoax. Um, and let me tell you how I know immediately that it's a hoax. If you understand mathematics at all, I don't mean one plus one equals two. I mean that, that, uh, you know, not in, even preschoolers understand that. But I'm talking about if you understand the orbits of planetary motion and the laws of planetary motion, you'll understand that it's impossible for a distant planet or for a planet to come so close to be as bright as the moon. I mean, you'd need all the forces of gravity to change in magnitude. You'd need a total disruption of the solar system. But what's so interesting, Duncan, is this. What's so interesting is that every year there are tens upon dozens upon hundreds and thousands of suckers. Why are people so frenetic about believing something, Duncan? I've often wondered if they get an email, they tend to just take it at face value. They don't think for a second. They just say, Prof, why is this going to happen? This is amazing. They don't think it through. Um, do you think it's just the age of our times, Duncan, of living in an instant type of society? I think so, Professor. Uh, lately, we, there's just a lot of people, the only thing they know is what they read on the newspaper or hear on the TVs. Right. But they just can't think for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're just so needy for information that they'll grab whatever's thrown at them. Yeah. Well, the, 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 that's, that's right, is that they'll just grab. Now, this hoax comes like this. I had a professor, not in applied maths, but I had a professor once ask me. They asked me this. They said, Prof, I've just – here's one prof to another. But remember, I'm a prof of astronomy. Obviously, this guy wasn't. But uh, this guy said to me, Prof, uh, I've just got an email, and it says that you have to rush out tonight the moon and Mars will look equally bright. And he believed it, so he was sucked into this myth. And um, I don't know who designed the Mars hoax myth. I don't think anybody does. But um, it's certainly there, and it certainly uh, raises its ugly head every year. And every year, as I say, there are thousands and more of suckers who go and outside and try and look and, you know. So, never be fooled by the Mars myth. Never be fooled. And I want to take you down another myth today. My daddy bought me a telescope and my daddy built an observatory, as you can see on Twitter and Facebook. But suppose you are interested in studying astronomy, yes, and you want to go and buy a telescope. What sort of telescope should you buy and what set of telescope should you not buy? The telescopes you should not buy are the telescopes the salespeople want to sell you because they know zero about astronomy in general. Don't listen to the salesman. Sales talk. You know, somebody called me up yesterday, Duncan, from a bank. And obviously they were taught to read off the screen. And she said to me, Professor Block. And I said, yes. And she said, I want to offer you X rands increase on your credit card. And I said, that sucks. (laughs) I said, who wants to be in debt? 
I said to her, why do you want to force me to be in more debt? And she was reading from the screen. And she said to me, Professor Block, we would like to offer you, you know, X number of rands uh, more. You can go into debt, you know, 20, 30, 50,000 more. Why not, Professor? And I said, ma'am, just think for a second. Is it good to be sucked into debt or not? And she didn't hear me, Duncan. Why do you think that is? Is it just one of training that people are just trained, uh, you know, just to read of them? In other words, she's being paid to sell a product. In this case, to get the professor to be sucked into debt. And again, just like why is a sky doctor? She wasn't thinking to herself. Well, you know, if we get the professor into more debt, the professor then has to pay, which is more stress. But professor, don't shoot the messenger. That's, she was just sent by the bank. That is lovely. You know, Duncan is really neaty with his answers because Galileo wrote a book called The Sidereal Messenger. That's lovely. I love that. And uh, what Duncan is saying here is she's the messenger of the bank. And, of course, the banks want to get you into more and more debt because the more they can screw one up, uh, the, you know, the greater is the profit margin. I, you know, I'm sorry to use that word, but the more people are in debt, the more the banks love it because uh, – That's because what keeps them going. That's what keeps them going. That's the profit margin. And so I never listen to salespeople ever, never, 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 never listen to a salesperson who's trying to sell a product because, first of all, they might offer you a lifetime guarantee and then you find they die tomorrow, so the guarantee is gone. But more importantly is the fact that the information that you're given is often nonsense. Now, it was in my day. In my day, when my father bought me a telescope, the salespeople said to my father, buy your son, because my father had said, you know, he's got a son who's passionately, madly in love with astronomy. Buy your son a telescope which has got the greatest magnification power. Now, that sounds neat. Buy your son a telescope which has the greatest magnification power. But again, it shows a total lack of thought on the part of the salesperson. And let me tell you why. Inappropriate and simple. Let me tell you why. If you've got a telescope which magnifies more and more, like 200 times, 400 times, 600 times, what will happen is, is that if you look at the moon, for example, with a magnification of, say, 600 times, everything will start looking very fuzzy. Why? Because you are magnifying the air cells in our atmosphere. You're looking at the moon through our atmosphere, and the greater and greater and greater magnification, the more you're magnifying the air cells within the atmosphere, and so the more you're distorting the image. And so the greater and greater magnification, uh, the fuzzier the object, because you, you actually, it's blurry. And you can look at this again on Google. It's very interesting. But uh, the effects of the atmosphere on the stars is it causes the stars, for example, to twinkle. Our atmosphere does. And so there was this myth doing the rounds, which again happens all the time, is that if you've got a son or a daughter or even yourself and you want to buy a telescope, you know, the salesperson says to you, buy the telescope with the greatest magnifying power. That is exactly what you don't want. You don't want a telescope uh, with the greatest magnifica- magnification power. For example, uh, many of you might have seen my photographs in my books, Star Watch or Shrouds of the Night or other books which I've written. And uh, 
let's just call up one. Let's go. Let's do a little fun experiment, Duncan. Let's go to Amazon.com. So Duncan's just going to do this like you're going to do this to Amazon.com. And uh, he's just going to type in Amazon.com. And away we go. And he's going to type in Shrouds of the Night. Uh, Shrouds of the Night. And so we're just going to type this in Shrouds as in S-H-R-O-U-D-S. Shrouds of the Night. Now see it coming up. Now, there is a beautiful image, a very evocative image, if you like, if we click on the image. I hope we can. But there we go, yes. So, what kind of exposure time is this? Well, first of all, what does that look like to you, Duncan? What sort of animal? Uh, at face value, it, it looks it's like... like a face value. Yeah, it looks like a, a snake that's growing a body. Okay, or what about a leopard or a cheetah? If you look carefully now at the head. Oh, yes. Can you see the cheetah? Yes. So, you know, now, the, now just look. If you go to Amazon.com and you type in Shrouds of the Night, you'll see what I mean. Can you see, Duncan, that the stars are absolutely pinpoint? No distortion at all, Professor. No distortion at all. So, I might be using a magnification of 20 times, that's all. 20 or 30 times. Because I want the stars to be crystal clear and sharp. If I start going to a hundred times or uh, a thousand times, <laughs> then of course we'll be getting absolutely blurry images. And I like this. Duncan's called up what makes um, a great telescope, but actually the answer is wrong, which often happens on the web. But um, what you want is a telescope which gathers as much light as possible. That's what you want. You don't want a telescope with high magnification power. Isn't that amazing? All the salespeople said to my daddy, buy your son a telescope which magnifies the most. And those are the worst telescopes to buy. The telescopes that you want to buy are ones with low magnification but a lot of light gathering power. Now let me give you an, an analogy with raindrops. Duncan, suppose you have a small bucket and suppose you have a big bucket and it's raining. Okay, which is going to gather the most water? Obviously, the big bucket, yes. So we call that, if you imagine the rain to be light, we say that the bigger bucket has got a greater collecting area. Mm. So in other words, it collects more raindrops. So in the in astronomy, size matters, yes, in the sense that you've got the bigger and bigger telescope. So in other words, what I'm saying is, looking back at that tweet, which is... Um, on Twitter of my telescope at home, the secret was not the light gathering, the secret was not the magnification, but the secret was here at the bottom here. You needed as big a mirror as possible to gather as much light as possible. So you want to gather as much light as possible. Light from the sky or light? Light from the sky. Of course. That's right. So you want to gather as much moonlight. If you're looking at the moon or if you're looking at Saturn, you want to gather as much light from Saturn as you can. Or if you're looking at Venus, you want to gather as much light as possible. So you want to gather as much light so that it can be as bright as it can be, but you don't want any distortion. And that's why you do not want magnifying power. And so it's exactly the opposite to the way the salespeople went. So I trust that today we've debunked several myths. 
Well, the first one has really been very interesting for me to debunk and to sort of toss in your minds is why is the sky dark at night? I mean, I think that that is just such, as I've said, such an awesome uh, dinner topic. And I wonder, Duncan, if you imagine, say, your friends chilling um, of an evening in Cajeso, um, how many people do you think would get that? I mean, out of a thousand people, how many do you think would get this answer right? Well, none of them. They'd probably think uh, the sky is dark because the sun goes away. And that is what all my students say, is that the sun is dark because the sky is dark because the sun is set. And I trust that, uh, you know, when Gareth first invited me with Rena to be on the show, he said, eh, from time to time, present questions that are really challenging. Well, today I've done that, Gareth. I mean, this question is as challenging as you can get, is why is the sky dark at night? Then we've, and we've found the solution in the fact that we live in a universe which is expanding, which hasn't got infinitely many stars, uh, which is not infinitely old. But otherwise, otherwise, as Duncan correctly said at the beginning of the show, the sky should be infinitely bright at night. It should be blazing with starlight. Then we've gone and debunked the Mars hoax, which claims that Mars, during the course of a year, will be as bright as the full moon. But then, finally, we've gone and debunked a salesperson's myth, and that's regarding the purchase of telescopes. And as Christmas approaches, maybe, you know, Parents want to buy little scopes for the kids, and they always buy ones that the salesperson recommend, Duncan. And you know what happens? These telescopes get opened. Uh, one has a look at the moon and the stars for a night or two, and then you put it in your cupboard. Why? Because everything's blurry. Why is everything blurry? Because you're dealing with such a great magnification, which a salesperson sold you. What you don't want is high magnification. What you do want is light gathering power. So it's been great fun. Today I just thought I want to chill mentally. I mean, I just want to relax mentally with you. I just want to chill. I just want to have fun with profound questions. And To me, it's been great fun. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as Duncan and I have today uh, in looking up with David Block. Why is the sky dark at night? The Mars hoax, what telescopes to buy. Again, it seems so obvious, doesn't it, Duncan, that you'd want high magnifying power. Mm. But education is key, Professor. I think that's the whole thing, is that that's why I'm here. I suppose that's one of the great reasons why I am on uh, Cliff Central, is that Gareth and Rena wanted me on you know, to try to help us to understand the awesomeness of the night skies from an educated perspective. I think there's so much on the web out there which is wrong. There are so many hoaxes out there. There's so many articles out there uh, written by lunatics. Duncan, lunatics means touched by the moon. Luna, Luna, lunatic. And I trust that we've debunked this. But tonight, around your supper table, sit everybody down. If they haven't listened to this podcast, get each one to put a hundred bucks on the table and say, folks, whoever wins this takes it all. Here's the question. Why is the sky dark at night. You've been listening to David Block signing out until next Tuesday. Looking up as always. Cliffcentral.com